all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Sun. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics and Medical Director for the Center for the Advancement of Youth at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're at the end of October and National ADHD Month. Today, we'll try to answer all those questions that you may still have about how it's diagnosed, who gets it, and why. We'll also talk about how long it lasts and what is really the best treatment. Do you think that you may have ADHD? Can you ever outgrow it? Call in today to get questions asked about ADHD. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. Share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. This is Relatively Speaking from MBP Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. President Trump is headed to the Capitol today to talk about tax reform, even though it's one of the GOP's biggest priorities. NPR Scott Detrow reports it's beginning to get upstaged by another Twitter feud involving President Trump. Trump's goal for today, meet with Senate Republicans and present a unified front on the GOP's main year-end goal, passing a major overhaul of the tax system. Instead, Trump sent five tweets in a row blasting a key swing vote on that effort, Tennessee Republican Bob Corker. Trump was responding to a series of critiques Corker made in TV interviews, including telling CNN he thinks Trump has a chronic inability to tell the truth. I think the the basement of our nation will be what he'll be remembered most for, and, and that's regretful. Corker was once an ally of Trump. He told CNN he tried to work with the president to change Trump's approach to governing, but he no longer thinks that's possible. Scott Detrow, NPR News, the Capitol. The travel ban on refugees expires today, but the administration is poised to announce tougher vetting measures in line with the president's broader policy on immigration. Here's NPR's Joel Rose. Most refugee admissions have been on hold since June, when the Supreme Court allowed much of President Trump's travel ban executive order to take effect. The White House says the 120-day pause in refugee admissions was needed to give officials time to assess existing security procedures. New vetting procedures could be announced as soon as today. The Trump administration has already said the U.S. will accept no more than 45,000 refugees this year. That's a drastic cut from a cap of 110,000 in the last year of the Obama administration. Refugee resettlement agencies are disappointed with the cap, which they say falls far short of what's necessary to meet growing humanitarian needs around the world. Joel Rose, NPR News. The administration reportedly is preparing to declare that the violence Rohingya Muslims are facing at the hands of the military in Buddhist Myanmar amounts to ethnic cleansing. The Associated Press reports U.S. officials are preparing a recommendation for Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. For the first time since Hurricane Maria struck Puerto Rico more than a month ago, some schools are opening today. NPR's Adrian Florido reports officials are reopening some in stages. About 200 schools reopened today here in the capital, San Juan, and in Mayaguez, the island's westernmost region. 
but some 900 schools remain closed. The education department is requiring that government-contracted engineers inspect each school for safety before reopening. They're starting with schools in the island's least damaged regions. Schools in the most damaged regions will reopen last. The island's education secretary has said she hopes to have schools open in every region of Puerto Rico by mid-November. Some schools will not reopen, though, because of damage or because they were destroyed. Officials are figuring out how to accommodate students at those schools. Adrian Florido, NPR News, San Juan, Puerto Rico. This is NPR. Game one of the World Series starts tonight in Los Angeles. The Dodgers host the Houston Astros. L.A. is trying to win the series for the first time since 1988. The Astros are trying to win their first ever. NPR's Tom Goldman reports from Los Angeles. It's a power matchup, the first time since 1970 that both World Series teams won at least 100 games in the regular season. The Dodgers are favored thanks to dominant pitching, especially the relief pitchers, and a lineup filled with dangerous hitters. Houston pitcher Justin Verlander knows all too well. I think there's challenges that are unique with every single hitter that they have. If you take off even a few pitches... Uh, you can look up and uh, you can be have given up a couple runs. That said, Houston is the best hitting team in the majors, whether putting the ball in play or mashing home runs. Tonight's starting pitchers are a couple of ace left-handers, Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers and Dallas Keuchel for the Astros. Tom Goldman, NPR News, Los Angeles. And roughly two months after Hurricane Harvey, many Houstonians say they are plugged into this World Series, saying their city needs this. Outraged that he's being accused of doping his race dogs, four-time Iditarod champion Dallas Seavey says he's sitting out next year's big event. Today, Seavey posted a Facebook video blasting the Iditarod Trail Committee for announcing that four of his dogs had tested positive for a banned opioid pain reliever. The 30-year-old musher says he does not care if he ever races again. In the video, Seavey says he won't be thrown under the bus. At was up 195 points. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Eli Lilly and Company, striving to unite caring with discovery to make life better. Stories on what inspires Lilly scientists in their pursuit of life-changing medicines are available at lillyforbetter.com. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And now, Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Good morning, and thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and this is Relatively Speaking. Today we're at the end, or nearing the end, of October and National ADHD Month. So today we'll try to answer all those questions that you may still have about how it's diagnosed, who really gets it, and why. We'll also talk about how long it lasts and what really is the best treatment. Is there just one treatment? Are there many Is one treatment the right one for everyone? Do you think that you might have ADHD? Can you ever outgrow it? So you can call in today to get any of those questions asked about ADHD. We want to hear what's going on with you. Honestly, ADHD, or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, is an old diagnosis with so much misunderstanding. 
there are a lot of myths that have long surrounded it and a lot of misinformation. Today, I have Dr. Dustin Sarver, a psychologist at uh, the Center for the Advancement of Youth, where I am, Kay, at UMMC. He's here, and he's going to help us answer any of these questions. Dr. Sarver has done some cutting-edge research on behavioral aspects that he'll share with us today, and, and then we'll answer any questions or concerns that you have about the diagnosis, the treatment, your child, yourself, or a significant other. So welcome, Dr. Sarver. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me again. I'm really excited today. Again, yes, you're a regular visitor, and we appreciate you being here. So um, what I thought maybe we should start off with is just a real basic review of what attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is is and and talk a little bit about the confusion that even the name brings because this happened to me I was on the coast I was seeing a young man who was very well spoken and we were talking about his ADHD and he said to me I said ADHD and he said oh I don't have the H I just have ADD so you know he, it happens. It's very common. It happens. And we hear that from parents a lot. So um, why don't you tell our listeners, why in the world do we call it all ADHD? Right. That's a really excellent point. Um, it's a bit of a history lesson, for one. Um, right now, we, you know, our, the manual or the kind of the terminology we use is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, back in the 80s, um, we used to call it ADD or ADHD. Right. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, over the time, we realized that it's not necessarily, you know, dividing kids or adults based on having the H or not having H really wasn't useful. Um, right. It's really not something that stays consistent across time. So the research community and uh, psychology and psychiatry, we realized, let's just call it ADHD. It tends to be all one thing. And kind of let's describe instead how much symptoms people are having, whether they're having more inattention symptoms, more hyperactivity symptoms, or kind of the combination, because those do change over time. So it, right. right now, the term is just ADHD. ADHD. Mm -hmm. And you can do the I or the primarily hyperactive, primarily mm -hmm. inattentive, or the combined type. But I think even most people now feel that most of it's combined. It's just ADHD. And you may not really get out of your seat and run around, but you may feel restless mm -hmm. internally and fidgety internally, right? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. a lot of those symptoms go up. You know, you see a lot of hyperactivity in early years that kind of dissipates as kids uh, uh, grow older and to adults and it may shift into different things. So my, my thing that I like to tell listeners is that, uh, you know, saying the ADD kind of throws back to the old 80s of like Radio Shack. So yeah. if we want to <laughs> want to uh, use you know, uh, more modern, modern language, we can just call it ADHD and yeah. Everybody will, the, uh, everybody will still know what you mean. Yeah. So, listeners, we're talking about ADHD. And any question that you might have, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We're going to go on to our first caller. We have Debbie. Good morning, Deb. And past Christiane, you have a question about Vyvanse. Yes, good morning. Um I have a granddaughter who's 10 years old and was a few years ago diagnosed with ADHD and they put her on Vyvanse. 
she took it for a couple of years, and this year she just really didn't want to take it. So um, she hasn't been taking it, but she's been doing very well in school still. But her her issue is sleeping. She says she just can't turn. We were just talking about it the other day, and she was just telling me that it's just so hard for her to turn her brain off at night and go to sleep. So that is, is very common mm-hmm. in individuals with ADHD. One of the issues, too, though, Debbie, is when we are looking at ADHD, one of the first things we do before medication is we look at sleep because sleep, or lack thereof, can yeah. mimic Absolutely. Uh, the symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you okay. know when. When you when you said your daughter has, daughter has a trouble turning her brain off uh-huh. at night, you yeah. know, another thing that kind of think comes to mind is worry and anxiety. A yeah. lot of times, kids especially have worries at night, and that's really what's keeping it up. Um, and then by the, you know, in turn, that infects sleep. Right. Uh, yeah. Falling. So you know, there's uh, kind of what Doctor Butchers is alluding to is that there's a lot of things we have to rule out first and kind of figure out. But the, the sleep and potentially even worry or anxiety is something that's yeah. really really common. Yeah, Debbie, you have you say your granddaughter is ten. Sounds like yeah. she must be bright if she has some mild symptoms and is still doing okay without medication. Yeah. So, let's talk a little bit about how maybe she can improve her ability to turn her brain off, and yeah. and a lot of that pertains around to just learning how to push back those thoughts, push them away, um, get in the moment. Um, Good sleep hygiene, too, in general. Good sleep hygiene, like staying away from caffeine, at least none. um, I mean, she probably doesn't need any at all, but at least um, none after 3 p.m. Um, Okay. Turning off that screen. Oh, the screen, right. yeah. yeah. I, absolutely. Uh, hours before. And then really that last hour before people go to bed should just be nothing but wind down time. Maybe that's light reading, but certainly nothing stimulating a lot, like watching TV or cartoons okay. or playing a game. Uh, yeah. you know, turning Even just turning down the lights uh, yeah. can really uh, mm-hmm. be helpful. Yeah, I love I, I love um, mysteries and in, in, intrigues to read, yeah. and um, I've been reading a James Patterson book, and I've decided I cannot read that at night. <laughs> 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 so that's one of those things you have to be really careful about. Yeah, she um, likes to read, so that would be good. I, I, I think I think the thing is turning turning things off like an hour. You said an hour before mm-hmm. it's time to go to bed. Yeah. And I think that's kind of difficult sometimes, but yeah. It is. And with homework, even um, sometimes a homework burden and with a really motivated individual, uh, they'll work, uh, they'll work until they have to or but until they fall asleep or until mm-hmm. they have to turn the lights off. And so right. it's really not a good idea to that to do that. And I think schools are now understanding mm-hmm. that huge burdens of homework are not a good idea. Absolutely. Yeah, she doesn't have much homework. I mean, she has enough homework when she comes in, and she gets that done right away, and she's an A-B student. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, but it's just, and I, I know ever since she was little, she's had a hard time turning her little brain off <laughs> yeah it's time to go to bed but i'll try we'll try those things with her i'll let her mom know and let her try those things 
Yeah, a couple of other quick things include making sure the room's cool enough. A cooler mm-hmm. um, external environment really helps cooling the body down a little bit. Yeah. Warm bath at night before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, warm. Make sure dark. Go, yeah, sure make dark. sure it's dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the room is dark. Yeah. Yep. So all of those things. Hope they work. Try them out, Debbie. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. All right. You Bye-bye. too. Yeah. Okay. We have lots of open lines. Give us a call if you have any questions at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Before our first break, um, let's talk a, just a little bit about the causes of ADHD. Mm-hmm. I think you know, back in the old days, they called it minimal brain damage. That was really <laughs> yeah. the old days—a terrible term, I thought. Um, but also some questions about parenting or sugar or what. Mm-hmm. Do you want to address some of that? Yeah, well, that's, a, I mean, that's something we could probably devote an entire hour well, to. But just to kind of highlight some things, those are really the questions that I hear a lot from parents. Like, how did this happen? Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of reasons. Um, when we the research, you know, does these stu- studies on it, we see that there's about a sixty to eighty percent genetic makeup right. of this, and yeah. I don't think people realize that that sixty to eighty percent is actually more uh, genetic heritability than people's eye color. So I like to say that your your ADHD symptoms, because we know it kind of goes on a spectrum, just like blood yeah. pressure, just like height, yeah. um, it's actually more than your eye color and um, less than your height, but um, a whole lot. So height is about 90% and ADHD symptoms tend to be in that 60 to 80% range. So. Which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, we talk, we've talked on this show so many times about nurture versus nature. Mm-hmm. So then if you have a parent who has ADHD, there may, may be modeling behaviors that are not helpful mm-hmm. with ADHD management. So you parents out there who have children with ADHD, look internally, make sure that what mm-hmm. you're doing is is helpful to your child. Right. And, and so, you right. know, modeling good behavior, like right. um, learning to remember to do things, to follow through, to show organization. Yeah. Write list if you li- need right, them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, that can help kind of make those symptoms go up and down, but it's certainly not a cause. We know that. There are some things like parenting does just does not cause ADHD symptoms. There's th- some things that... Um, uh, you know, that are in the environment that kind of can interact with that. They're, th- you know, having uh, early birth, even tracing back, you know, our developmental uh, origins of um, ADHD, whether or not there was uh, sufficient oxygen. So there's a couple of things that, are, you know, kind of can bump the symptom uh, trajectory one way or another. But um, overall, there's, um, you know, it's, it's one of the things where it's, it's definitely brain-based. Right. And it's not one thing where... Um, where we can just pinpoint one cause for one person. I think that's important to know. Right, right. Well, why don't we go to our first break? And when we come back, we have, is it Ela in Memphis? Um, we're talking about ADHD. We still have lines open. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. You can call about yourself or somebody you love. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back.
An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. If you're going to get two guys to do a TV show about Mississippi, you couldn't pick two more enthusiastic cheerleaders than you and me. I'm an artist. I like to paint. I'm a restaurateur. I like to eat. That's what we're about. This week, we travel to the Mississippi Gulf Coast and attempt shrimping. We cook at my home, and Wyatt paints a rocket booster near the Stennis Space Center. It's a blast. Join us. Join Robert St. John and Wyatt Waters in Palette to Palette, Thursday at 7 on MPB Television. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm here with Dr. Dustin Sarver from the K at UMMC. And we're talking about ADHD and anything you want to know about it. We're trying to dispel some rumors and talk um, some about the diagnosis and treatment. What can you do to help? Maybe there's some ways without medication. So let's go on back to the phones. Um, Good morning. Is it Ela? Yes, perfectly. Ela, yes. Good. Ela's in Memphis, and you wanted to talk a little bit about physical before mental. Tell us what you're thinking. Yes. Well, I used to work at um, the Door Center, and it was a residential for developmentally disabled adults, and I managed the duly diagnosed, um, like, psychiatric issues. Uh-huh. And we always, 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 it was our mantra, you know, physical before mental, physical before mental. And, of course, partially because... You know, expressive language was not as strong, uh, but also because more often than not, as you were stating earlier, uh, some other, like, physiological or physical uh, issues could contribute to, like, similar symptoms to ADHD. So uh. that's one thing, which leads me to my question. Um, how much of the overdiagnosis of ADHD do you think has contributed to that exact thing? Oh, great question. question. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, I'll start Go with the, <laughs> the medical end, and then I'll let you take over. There's so many things, Ela. Um, I can... I can um, probably go up to 20 different just medical things. But let me mention sort of the top um, ones that from a a medical physical issue, Um, Mm -hmm. vision, visual deficit and hearing deficit often, often not even checked formally before a diagnosis is made. Not appropriate. I um, I think that anytime anybody says anything about poor classroom performance or poor performance in general, somebody who's not paying attention, hearing can be so difficult. Uh, it's so easy to miss. Mm-hmm. And um, we do this in our clinic with our new patients often. Absolutely. We tell parents when they say, no, I'm pretty sure he hears. We tell parents to put their fingers over their ears 
um, and and cover them, um, which muffles your hearing, and that's about a mild hearing deficit. Mild. Can you imagine if somebody has a moderate hearing loss? Um, and trying to sit in a classroom with background noise or, you know, in anything. So vision, hearing, um, thyroid, hypothyroidism, a low thyroid can make you sluggish. A hyperthyroid can make you feel jittery and overactive. That should be checked if there's any family history or anything, any other symptoms that may lead you there. There, we do not recommend um, blood work on every individual, but just to take a good medical history to make sure. We already mentioned sleep, which is, so those are, are probably the top four. And then don't forget about um, seizure disorders. Um, you can have absence seizures, staring spells that can mimic transient inattention, and so one will miss. And then um, nutritional issues, iron deficiency, anemia, other um, nutritional issues can certainly cause problems. So, okay, now, Ela, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Sarver because I know he's got a handful of um, other issues that might mimic. Yeah, I'm uh, chomping at the bit okay. here. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I, just to kind of, I'll give the kind of the scientific research um, explanation on this in a little bit. Um, oftentimes, um, when we do, when we've, when the studies have been done to look at careful diagnosis of ADHD, you know, using our what we call our gold standard approaches, and that being interviewing the parent, getting some information from the teacher, using um, what we call normed uh, information, so we can put the kids' symptoms uh, at different percentiles to make sure that they're more inattentive or hyperactive than boys or girls their age actually watching them and observing them for a sufficient amount of time, doing cognitive testing uh, to make sure it's not a learning disability or a poor IQ. When those criteria are done, uh, it doesn't really matter what state or country that people are in, that overdiagnosis phenomenon goes away. Yeah. Uh, and you see a consistent prevalence rate. So a lot of it in my book is chalked up to either poor methods or um, you know just the the practical matter of you, especially in like primary care, you may only have five, 15, five to 15 minutes to make an adequate diagnosis. And so we kind of lump in those other conditions that Dr. Either the physical ones that Dr. Butters had um, raised or some of the more mental ones like anxiety or sleep that, um, that actually kind of get lumped in there as potential diagnosis. So what Dr. Sarver's saying is that, um, having just a rating scale from a parent is not enough. Mm-mm. You have to take time. And if you just, if you see a physician uh, who takes five minutes and scribbles a prescription and makes a diagnosis with a few words and maybe a rating scale that only you filled out, parent, then I would suggest that you ask for more. Mm-hmm. You it's really a good need start. To uh-huh. It's a good start. But what should happen next is a good physical, a good neurologic, a good history, um, and information from somewhere else. A teacher, mm-hmm. um, typically from two different settings, is what needs to happen. So your physician may be very busy and wants you to come back a second time. And you know what? You should thank that physician. Absolutely. And not be angry that you didn't get a prescription when you first got there. So, um, Ela, did that help? 
Yeah, uh, and actually, I would like to add one last thing. Sure. It would be so much better to have, like, five different physicians' uh, appointments before you get an actual official diagnosis of ADHD, because taking that off the record with, of your school child is a lot harder than getting it on, if that makes any sense. It it does. It is, and, you know, that's, uh, so, I think, just having a, a ca- ha- encouraging our listeners and parents out there to have that cautious approach to not, to right. make sure that we, we are not jumping the gun to get the diagnosis um, that, you know, I like to think of it that in any other um, physical condition, you want your doctor to be darn sure that they've got the right condition um, mm-hmm. diagnosed before prescribing you any type of physical medication. So, yeah. and this is uh, no different. Thanks for your call, Eva. Okay. All right, you. I think you, you you helped us cover several points that we did. wanted to. Um, so, uh, listeners, feel free to call. I'm going to tell a, a little story in a minute that I want Dr. Sarver to address. Uh, but call us at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to family at mpbonline dot org to join in the conversation about ADHD across the lifespan, not just in kids. But I'm going to tell a little story that happened to. Um, uh, grandchild of mine so child youngest youngest in his class not here in in mississippi but youngest in his class and um in first grade very bright academically doing well but getting in trouble in the classroom for being inattentive and fidgety Um, not completing work in a timely fashion so guess what happened he started losing recess And then he had to do, quote, silent lunch, meaning that he couldn't talk at lunch. So you have a six-year-old, a a kid who's six years and one month old, who can't go out to recess and has to be silent at lunch. So guess what happened? He started not wanting to go to school. So um, I won't tell you what happened then. Um, It all came out fine because I believe it was addressed correctly, but what would you suggest to our listeners that they do if this happens to happen? There, First of all, let me say there are a ton of fabulous teachers oh, who yes. know exactly what to do, and they would never do that. Mm-hmm. And so. if they, any of them are listening, I would love to hear their opinion as well. Yes, yes. Uh, my encouragement would be, first off, to make sure that um, – you know, you say he was the youngest in his class. Well, this is the first yeah. thing to make sure that you know the expectations are are, yeah. are right on, um, and that he's it's within his capacity to to, um, to complete. Um, but you know, there's a lot of that element of you know just simple corrections that can go on and making sure that you're incentivizing good behavior it could be it would be a, a first starter for me as a recommendation. So to set up a this. behavioral plan, of, yeah, that, a good one, <laughs> a good one, and whether or not that's for the entire classroom to start, sure. yeah. um, and then kind of titrating it down to the the, the child, and either whether that's uh, making it specific to the to the child. And I don't think that needs to have typically a formalized uh, plan um, with the school an IEP or uh, 504 accommodation, but that, you know, it's just good teacher practice. Right. 
Right. Um, and the other thing I would think of is taking away of resets. Oh, man, I hate hearing that because uh, it's so good mentally uh, and for concentration for kids to get that outdoor time, uh, not only to burn off energy, but to ec- physically exercise and socialize. Yeah. So Dr. Sarver, I just want to put a plug in for him right now <laughs> in his research. Um, he did some research that actually showed kids learned better if they were allowed to fidget a bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Monitor, yeah. But mild fidgeting. Mm-hmm. monitor exactly as long as they're paying attention and they're moving uh you know i really don't even have a, a personally a difficult goal with this uh even when i'm doing my evaluations you'll you'd be surprised at the number of kids who are upside down and fidgeting in and in the chair and, yeah. but they're able to do the iq test or the cognitive test amazing because yeah. it, it may help i think it helps them in a way yeah well, let's go back to the phone. Um, we have Anthony Anoxipator. You have some questions about potential causes of ADHD. Good morning. Anthony, you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. We're just fine. So what's your question? So my question actually is a comment. I, oh, okay. uh, we do missions around the world, uh-huh. and we deal with uh, young kids especially. And we have not seen the ADHD as we see in the States, except now lately we have been seeing it in the large, largest cities with the kids. And our observation is the form of a question, too, is that we, we put our kids at a very early age in front of the television looking at all these exciting clips of fast-moving objects and bombs and so forth. And then we put the child in the classroom where kind of a... Um, it's like talking teacher. <laughs> and we expect the child to be quiet. So is there some part of the brain being stimulated when we put the child to babysit in front of the television and ask the child to, know, to be more disciplined in a more slower pace of learning? That's a great question, Anthony. And actually, there's been some research that's mm-hmm. kind of looked at um, – causes of ADHD and looked at media and an amount of hours on um, screen time, including TV and video. And there's some thought that it may not cause ADHD, but it probably exacerbates Mm -hmm. the inattention, right? Yeah. uh, I think of it a lot like sleep or nutrition in the sense that poor poor hygiene, whether that's media hygiene or uh, sleep can kind of make symptoms come up. Yeah. So you're Anthony, um you're exactly right. Now there there if you look across the world, the incidence of ADHD depending on what country you're in is somewhere between 2 and 5%. Mm-hmm. Now in some areas of the US and unfortunately in Mississippi, um the numbers have eked up to as much as 10% of the population. Mm-hmm. And I believe those of us who do this on a day-to-day basis and really work hard to make sure we have the appropriate diagnosis, if you'll remember what Dr. Sarver said earlier in the show, um, we really think that if people would really look at the criteria and rule out everything else, we wouldn't be at 10%. No, no right? like, likely not. Likely not. Um, though there might be some other um, potential issues that could make it go up. Smoking during pregnancy, we know, is mm-hmm. not good for the developing fetus and can increase the incidence. Also, alcohol definitely during pregnancy, we know, can increase the incidence of, of ADHD. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
hopefully that helped, Anthony. But um, I think, yes, we all firmly believe in limiting media time and increasing outdoor exercise and free play. Mm-hmm. Better for kids, better for obesity, better for all kinds of stuff. So, okay, let's go. Um, before we take this next break, we'll go on to Gabby, who's been waiting in Hattiesburg. Good morning, Gabby. Good morning. I actually have two questions for you. Um, the first one is regarding my stepson. He has been diagnosed with ADHD, and we have been trying to um, work with him without putting him on medication. Uh-huh. And he has this, I don't want to call it a tick about him, but he's constantly singing, making noise, mm-hmm. like constantly. <laughs> the longest he can go without making some sort of noise is about 30 seconds. Okay. Is that a common thing? For yeah. children with ADHD? Or? Uh, yeah, uh, Gabby. Actually, um, what you listed is definitely two of the symptoms that we look for. <laughs> uh, we, it is. We, we, uh, we consider that kind of verbal hi- verbal hyperactivity. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we think of hyperactivity as moving around much, but um, we can come out, it can come out in the form of um, verbal behavior as well, uh, whether that's constantly sing- singing, humming, tapping, making noises, uh, not realizing that you're doing it around people, talking too much, talking too fast. Um, all those can be signs and symptoms of it for sure. And a lot, it actually, to, it's very kind of interesting to me, at least, that part of that might go back to the part of the brain where language develops, where mm-hmm. uh, in kids without ADHD, you know, we have, we develop that inner speech, you know, that voice that we can uh-huh. talk to ourselves. Um, that kind of goes underground in that, you know, six to eight year range. Um, uh, but in kids with ADHD, it kind of, it takes a little bit longer to go underground. And yeah. so you, that's why you hear, see these a lot of uh, kids who are, are making all those uh, noises that you might find distracting or annoying. Yeah, I've always wondered if when we hear this often, and I've always wondered if it has something to do with them trying to keep themselves still and mm-hmm. not jump up and run around. That's sort of that mental right. um, calming. A- absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. um, you know, <clears throat> I've, been, I've been trying to be very supportive of it. However, <laughs> you know, when we're in, a, in church or right. in a class setting or something like that, I try to tell him, okay, can we try to, you know, hum it in our head instead of out loud? I don't know what to do. I guess yeah. to try to control it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, one thing is um, when – and remind me, how old is your stepson? He's about to be seven. About to be seven. Okay. Um, As a quick practice that I often do uh, have parents do who are working with me is every time he's uh, in these situations over the next two to three weeks and he happens to be quiet – even for those 30 seconds, I want you to give him so much praise and attention for being quiet. Point it out to him. And you and you should start to see that kind of going down because he's going to want to have that, um, that have your attention and have that, you know, those positive comments. And I promise you that if you start paying attention for about two to three weeks, every time he does that, you're going to start to see some of it go down. It may not go away, go away completely, but I bet if you would take 20% decrease, uh, you would probably feel... 
um, feel a lot better yeah, about it. Be success. Yeah, I think one thing, Gabby, you're probably saying, gosh, it's hard to find a time. Mm-hmm. And it, it really gets to be um, something that you really do have to look for, the mm-hmm. behavior that you want. Because we so many times reinforce the behavior we don't want by paying attention to it. So ignore what you don't want. Um, reward what you do want. On the way into church, now obviously it's hard to ignore if he's being disruptive. So um, on the way in, I would say, remember, um, there may be a reward at the end if you can hold it together and not. Uh, So it doesn't hurt. Sometimes parents say, "What? Well, that's bribery." Well, kinda, but it's we. It's not illegal. We, it's not illegal, and we prefer to call it a reward. Um, so try that and see if that works, Gabby. Great. And then um, I had a just kind of a a general statement. I actually do after school tutoring with my son and two other children who have been diagnosed ADHD. And the two other children um, have been on medication. And you can definitely see a difference. Uh, you know, I, it might just be that their medication isn't working for them, but they just they don't seem happy. Yeah. I hear that a lot. And um, I'd like to, I know, Kevin, can we keep going? Do we need to break? Okay. So why don't we do this, Gabby? Um, After the break, if you'll just listen, we'll address that a little bit. That's a really important point I'd like to cover after the break. And then, Paul, you hang on. We'll get to you also. I know you've been waiting. Uh, We'll be right back. And uh, we're talking about ADHD. Uh, You can give us a call. We've got some open lines at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. This is Relatively speaking. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. Hi, I'm Wills Cotrere, the IT guy around here, and I know firsthand that everybody needs a little help from time to time dealing with the fast-paced world of technology. Wilts, I couldn't agree more. I'm Jeremy Thompson, the computer doctor and phone surgeon. As the weekly host of Everyday Tech, it's our job to make it easier for you to keep up with the latest, greatest, or smallest technologies. The way it works is... You give us a call, and we'll give you some answers. Hopefully the right ones. Listen to Everyday Tech tomorrow morning at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Ha, 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 ha. 
This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Dustin Sarver, and we are talking about ADHD and ready to answer any of your questions. And we're going to go right back to the phones. We have Paul in Biloxi who has been very patiently waiting. Good morning, Paul. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Now, you have some questions about homeschool. Talk to us. Yeah, well, I was just wondering, uh, particularly where these symptoms tend to manifest in the classroom, um, is there any role for homeschooling in, in managing this? Is it better in that situation um, than in the classroom? Is that something that parents could uh, employ? It's a good. Do that's, you want to take a, that first? Yeah. Yeah, that's a real good question yeah. and um, a real complicated one. Quite mm-hmm. honestly, it is. Um, I think it just. I mean, it may not be a great answer, but the. Uh, I think it's going to vary from kid to kid and family to family. Um, you know, there's certainly. I've seen some patients who have. Um, brought the kid in from school to homeschool and swear by it because it does allow some freedom and flexibility that uh, wasn't there in their traditional classroom. And um, some kids really respond to that. Um, now others, you know, you weigh the pros and cons of establishing routine and kind of expectations. But so to the extent that that can be done in the homeschool environment, then, you know, that's, uh, and the kid responds to that, that, that it's not, there's nothing that's wrong with that for sure. Right. So you have a smaller, typically, obviously, a smaller classroom, the ability to do more one-on-one help. Um, But what you have to remember is homeschool is a job. Mm -hmm. Um, And so many times if the parent is the homeschooler, now there are some great homeschool consortiums out there, and I'd be happy to take any calls on that from you homeschoolers out there. but, you know, if you're a parent who's homeschooling, you really should, especially as you move children into upper grades, you need to make sure that you're equipped, that you know how yeah. to teach, that mm-hmm. you're going to sure. do a good job. You're going to keep that child on grade level. So, yeah, Paul, I think your your question's a good one, and it really does um, depend Oh, thank so, you very much. Well, you are so welcome. That's a great question. Yeah, like I said, I, I'd love for us to get uh, callers call from um, anybody who's done the homeschooling and what you thought. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Um, so I want us to go back to the comment that from we had. Gabby, Gabby from, I believe. Yeah, from Gabby about the medication. We both thought we really needed to address that. So ADHD medicines, this is um, our mantra in the mm-hmm. clinic, is that they should only help. They should never hurt anything. If it changes personality, if it causes a child to seem depressed or flat or angry, or if they have the inability to interact and and um, if they complain about 
any about hating to take the medicine, then address it. Because the honest truth is, um, if the child's unhappy, feels bad, looks different on the medicine, then that's not what it's supposed mm-hmm. to be doing. Um, often, the, well, it means one of two things. The medicine dose is too high or it's the wrong medicine. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you go back to your physician, nurse practitioner who's ever treating and you say this and they don't address it, then you make sure you ask them to address that because that is not, in my mind, okay. No, right? No, and the, the, the unfortunate thing is that the, those symptoms are actually, those side effects are actually fairly common. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're, I wouldn't, they're not, they like, they're not, the majority of kids won't have that, but they are more routine than, than we might um, otherwise think. Right. That And, and the other thing that um, I saw just a few days ago is a, a child who the medicine helped them pay attention, but it increased their anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so the child had both. I'm pretty sure the diagnosis was correct, not by, not by our clinic, but by someone else. Pretty sure the diagnosis was correct, but I think he also had anxiety, which was being exacerbated by the stimulant medicine which it can do. So you have to be careful about those, you know, making um, another symptom worse. Mm -hmm. It's it's really a hard balance for kids uh, who are like that uh, because it's probably the more common thing is to have some, have two things, issues going on at the same time. Right. What, it's about a 30% risk yeah, to have a learning mm-hmm. issue, absolutely. 30% risk to have anxiety or 25, depression. Yeah, 25, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So all of those, it's it's just so important to make sure you, you have someone who knows how to treat ADHD, is well-versed in it, knows the medicines, knows the side effects, and, and doesn't always jump to medicine um, as just the first step. Now, sometimes that's appropriate. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. But um, especially in the younger child, important, mm-hmm. right, to oh, yeah. look at the whole thing. Okay, let's go back to the phones. We have Amy in Oxford. Good morning, Amy. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to call. Um, I have, excuse me, I, I have ADHD and have my um, combined type and have for my entire life and uh, two out of three of my kids have been diagnosed with ADHD, one um, a little more severe than the other. He also has a tick disorder. And um, just kind of wanted to say that, you know, um, I heard the other mom talking about her, her stepson and, and, and ability uh, to sit through church, and I can relate to that 100% as a child. So something that drove my parents crazy. And uh, <laughs> I, I take medication um, because it allows me to do everything I need to do and hold down a job and everything else. I haven't put my children on it um, because I'm on, I want them to learn a lot of the coping skills. And to me, medicine is a very small part. A lot of it is really kind of structuring your life. Um, I make a lot of lists. Um, I put things in the same place every time, uh, make keys and things like that, because otherwise they're just, they disappear into the you know the nether, <laughs> but, um, you know, and I think it's that that's kind of one of the things to to understand too is that you know medication is just one small part and it has a, a lot of side effects um, for kids sometimes appetite and growth and stuff like that and really to me I mean my medicine uh, it, it helps um, but it does when you're 
you know, talking about kids kind of feeling depressed and things like that. Um, but for me personally, I think it, it does inhibit that some things that are some benefits to ADHD, like creativity, um, really being able to think outside the box and come up with, um, you know, great problem solving and things being like spontaneous. Um, yeah, exactly. Because without it, um, when I'm trying to describe it to other people, it's like those old fashioned Rolodexes that spin. And I'm seeing <laughs> the, the pages just turn, 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 turn. And I'm grabbing little bits off each one, but I'm not really able to read each card yeah. <laughs> fully, you know. And the medication does help slow that down. But yeah. um, without all of the other, you know, uh, life things, like my um, daughter does her homework on one of those balance balls. So she can kind of like good, roll it a little good. bit and fidget yeah. while she's doing it. Um, and we work a lot on, on lists and marking things off lists so that we don't forget things. So there's a whole lot of, that goes into it, you know, besides the, the medication. And, Absolutely. you know, that's something that, you know, every family has to decide what they're going to do. But there's a lot yeah. of great books and stuff out there, too, that, that there really are. help. There, there really well. are, Amy. And um, first off, let me just say thank you for sharing and being an encouragement to um, other families and moms out there yeah, and for disclosing absolutely. this. That's, um, we really appreciate that. Uh, and you do, you raise a lot of great points. Um, I probably don't have enough time to address them all, but um, just the ones that come to mind are that, uh, yes, there are, are there are alternatives. Um, for both adults and kids, um, adults making those lists, making sure you're doing things repetitious in the same way, uh, having cues and reminders are really big helps. Uh, those really help with what we call the executive functioning skills that are oftentimes, right. uh, uh, you know, uh, deficits in in individuals with ADHD help compensate that. I, and yeah. I I don't have ADHD, but I know I uh, every time I walk in out the door, I say wallet, cell phone, keys, and pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so pants, the, very pants important. are for later on. But you know, really important to remember that we have the smartphones and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. We have calendars that we can keep um, on those phones with reminders and all. So yeah, um, all of those are such wonderful. Um, helps that we didn't have before back back a long time ago when we had the Rolodexes. So, Amy, thanks for your call um, and and sharing with us. And and you're right. If we can do without medicine, all the better. Sometimes medicines can be life changing. I think we're going to try to go to our one final break. And when we get back, we'll kind of sum it up for you, the ADHD issues across the lifespan. We might have a minute or two to take a call if you call in quickly at one mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. This is Relatively Speaking. We'll be right back. you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. 
Here's a great tip to clear the clutter going into the holidays. If you've got an extra car you no longer need, or if you recently upgraded your car and don't want the hassle of selling your old one, we have a solution. You can donate it to MPB. You can submit your donation up until midnight December 31st to qualify for a tax deduction. And if that car's gotten too expensive to repair just to get it there, well, come pick it up. Go by mpbonline.org and donate your car, truck, boat, RV, or motorcycle to MPB. Boo! <laughs> this is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Dustin Sarver, and we're wrapping up our ADHD Across the Lifespan show. Um, Dr. Sarver, we had a caller who wanted to leave a message and not go on air. Why don't you address that? Sure. The, uh, the question was about um, a grandson that exhibiting uh, symptoms like chewing on her hands and uh, chewing on his fingers. Uh, you know, that's another very common type of behavior we would see in kids with um, ADHD. Uh, oftentimes, it is more of a fidgeting kind of uh, behavior. And, you know, thinking forward for recommendations, you can kind of think of like, try to do what's getting an alternative to that, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, fidgeting with something in your hand, doing some, putting your hands in your pocket, something that's inconsistent with that behavior is oftentimes something that's pretty effective in, in getting rid of it. Yeah, we've used even things like um, the squishy ball mm-hmm. or a worry stone. You know, I know the fidgets have been yeah. out there, but um, we really are not promoting those too much. Um, just, you know, people have gotten into all kinds of troubles with those kind of things. They're and, fun so. as a play toy. Yeah, that's about <laughs> <laughs> So not so sure they're that great for the ADHD Mm -hmm. issue. But some way to occupy hands otherwise is a really great way to do it, right? right? And again, probably a child who's trying to stay still Mm -hmm. but just can't. We see a lot of nail biters um, in the ADHD world, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So, so. Dr. Sarver, thank you once again oh, so much for being here. Any parting words? Uh, no, just that um, uh, thanks for all of our listeners who have called in. It's been wonderful questions today. I, it really has. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Um, we are going to post on our website. We have several good resources for individuals with ADHD. If you want, you can find almost anything on the Internet. But what you need to know is who gives out good information, not just advertises about medication, but good information on what you should expect for the diagnosis, school, behavioral interventions that you can yeah. do. And Chad does a good uh, resource, C-H-A-D-D, I believe, dot org. Right. Yeah. And AAP.org, of course, does. NIH does Mm -hmm. a good job. CDC does a good job. Those are all listed 
on our um, on our will be listed on our website. So thanks everybody. Uh, today's show is engineered by Kevin Farrell. Our call screener is Sarah. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress with Dr. Dustin Sarver. I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and stay tuned for Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.